0: Welcome to another episode of On the Issues with Alain Ben-Mir. Today's guest is Dr. Zahir Sahloul, a Syrian-American critical care specialist and president of Med Global, an organization that provides medical care in disaster regions. He is also the founder of the American Relief Coalition for Syria and Syria Faith Initiative. Dr. Sahloul is considered one of the world's experts on the humanitarian crisis in his homeland of Syria and applying lessons learned to other disaster responses, including COVID-19. In this episode, Alan and Dr. Sahlul discuss the Syrian civil war and his work in providing health care in Syria during the war, what is currently happening on the ground in Syria, and what role the international community can play in ending
1: the conflict. To, to start with, I would really would like the audience would love to hear from you first about your experience. You know, you're very extremely prominent in this area. You know, you're the president of You um, the global. You get global. Which is extremely impressive with the kind of work they've been doing you've been doing, so tell me a little bit more for, for our audience to know you've been your involvement and where you are at this juncture well, thank you for,
0: for having me. Um,
1: I'm a physician, um,
0: graduated from damascus university Medical School nineteen eighty eight uh, and then traveled to the United States to pursue subspecialty. Uh, I'm specialized in uh, pulmonary medicine and uh, critical care medicine. Uh, And I've been in private practice, uh, group practice in Chicago uh, since uh, 1993. um, Well, 96, when I finished my fellowship. Uh, I'm married and have three children and and live in Chicago. Um, But I've been involved in Syria off and on since... um, I traveled to the US uh, in the summer vacation. I used to uh, give lectures um, in Thomas, my city. I mean, I was raised in the city of Thomas, which is the third largest city in Syria. Um, but then uh, in late 1990, uh, the Syrian American Medical Society was established and I became active in it. And we used to hold conferences uh, in Damascus and other Syrian cities. Um, and I was involved in the teaching, and conferences, uh, procedures, things like that, um, until the uh, Syrian uh, crisis or revolution started uh, in 2011. At that time, I was elected to become the president of the Syrian American Medical Society, SAMS. And uh, we transformed the organization from a small organization that has Uh, one part-time staffer and a budget of $100,000 to a reasonable size uh, medical NGO uh, that has a budget of $40 million and uh, 900 staff members between Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, and uh, Turkey. Um, I was part of establishing the foundations for all of these activities and teams in different countries. We've done things that I have never imagined in my professional lives that I would, I will, I will do, uh, crossing the borders, sometimes illegally, uh, from Turkey to Syria, establishing, uh, clinics and hospitals and caves, uh, undergrounds, uh, providing healthcare across the borders, uh, training Syrian physicians on how to provide care with uh, limited resources. Um, and also advocating on behalf of the Syrian people throughout the crisis in the last 12 years. And um, in uh, 2017, uh, a group of uh, my colleagues and myself established MedGlobal, uh, learning from the experiences in Syria, which is basically how to provide health care to populations in need in disaster regions. And they've been quite involved in, in that organization, uh, founding member and uh, president of global, traveling back and forth to disaster regions to provide health care to the uh, people in need. The-
1: so so uh, when was it your last visit to Syria?
0: Um, Well, I mean, legally, <laughs> through Damascus, <laughs> it was in, in 2011, one, one month uh, before the revolution started. At that time, the rumors had it that uh, uh demonstration will start in syria as you know at that time uh the arab spring was in full force and yeah. uh, it was a matter of time that it will arrive into syria uh but that's through through, through damascus but i uh, travel back and forth uh, to northern syria uh from turkey um every few months so last time i was there three months ago in the uh, northwest of syria uh through the turkish government.
1: I said, so you, you've been and you've been visiting, uh, I guess, Idlib all the time, every time you're there? Uh,
0: Idlib, Aleppo. Uh, and Aleppo, time. Yeah. And uh, we have uh, several clinics and hospitals that we support. We provide training, we provide uh, cross-border medical relief where the UN uh, relief and the United States send their medical and humanitarian support through the border from Turkey. Uh, we have uh, clinics. We have hospitals. We have um, uh, programs. We have. We started fellowship programs for critical care. Uh, all kinds of activities that are medical to provide health care to the populations in North uh, West Syria. About there are about four point two million Syrians in
1: that region. Uh,
0: half of them are displaced from other parts of Syria.
1: So, so three months ago, that was fairly recently. Yeah. Have you have you witnessed any improvement, specifically in the, you know, I mean, you describe in some of your writing the horror that taking place, I mean, the fact that 600,000 Syrians have died, among them 55,000 children, starvation, disease, um, uh, I, I mean, there's nothing horrifying that was not inflicted on the Syrian people. I mean, this is needless to say, in my view, in your view, I'm sure is the greatest disaster probably that uh, since World War II, um, and the, the, the tragedy, my view, is that the last few years, uh, no one anymore is talking about Syria, as if the conflict has been settled, when in fact people continue to die, uh, millions are still uh, outside the country, half the country is between refugees and internally displaced. And uh, there's a great deal of talk, support, support. But are you getting the kind of support that, you, that at least could, could make a dent in, in, in the horrifying situation that exists, specifically how this inflicted how is it, uh, ma- women and children?
0: I mean, the tragedy that uh, the United States and the world wants, want to forget uh, Syria at, after 12 years of crisis Uh, There are many other priorities to world leader than uh, Syrian children uh, and Syrian patients and what's going on in Syria. I mean, and, you know, if you're a world leader and you have Ukraine and you have uh, climate change and you have uh, global refugee crisis and you have uh, economy deteriorating, it's very difficult to focus on the Syrian crisis a small country in the Middle East uh, as, that has been in crisis for 12 years. But I believe this is the worst tragedy in our lifetime and uh, that we have moral responsibility in the world and the United States to um, support the Syrian people and make sure that they have a brighter future and that children will grow up at one point in Syria dreaming of, uh, of a house, uh, uh, of a career, of a career, of a school uh, instead of bombs and tents. Um, And if we don't do that, then it will uh, backfire on all of us. Um, As you know, the world is very connected and we've seen that in Syria. Uh, Unfortunately, over the past 12 years, everything that you read in the Bible um, uh, and the Old Testament about atrocities, diseases, and uh, mayhem that happens to people happened in Syria so we had chemical weapons attacks uh, more than 300 according to some uh, accounts uh, i've seen the victims of chemical weapons in syria we have uh, areas that were put under siege by different parties especially by the syrian regime that led to children starving to death uh, and we've seen pictures of them in madaya and zabadani and other places and i think the world the world has forgotten them we've seen barrel bombs thrown on schools, or hospitals, on neighborhoods that killed children, amputated their limbs, and uh, caused all kinds of mayhem. We've seen um, hospitals and doctors that are being targeted, according to some of the accounts. uh, There's an organization that actually uh, tally the numbers of hospitals and doctors that were killed. That is based in the United States, and they tallied more than 550 hospitals in Syria that were bombed by the Syrian regime, mostly and Russians, um, and more than 900 doctors and nurses that were killed. Uh, The situation, humanitarian situation, is still horrible. Syria right now is divided into at least three separate areas. Each one of them has their own government and uh, governing body. So you have. the syria that is controlled by the syrian regime by assad uh, you have northwest that is controlled uh, by uh, terrorist group and then you have the northeast uh, that is controlled by uh, Kurdish uh, Syrians, uh, sdf um, mm-hmm. and each each one of them has their own dynamics uh, their own problems their own shortages of uh, humanitarian assistance and health care and uh, suffering uh, that is going there.
1: Yeah, but then again, of course, you have also outside powers, specifically Turkey, which has a presence now in Syria, and fighting the Kurdish community there, the Syrian Kurds, and then you have Russia, who's the de facto, the overall controller. I mean, very little can happen without Russian support, the Russian acquiescence. And of course, you have uh, uh, Iran, who is constantly stirring more and more problems, just about for everyone. Uh, and and uh, if anything, they have made the situation considerably worse. From your re- recent visit, to what extent you see the involvement? That is, for example, Turkey's involvement presumably saved uh, uh, Aleppo, that is, from being completely destroyed. That is, you know, there was an agreement. Is, is the agreement holding now? I mean. We have still how many nearly four million people living there, and the, the city is divided into two. Pretty much, part is controlled by the Syrian government, the part by, still by the rebels. Uh, but uh, the Turkish have been, from what you've seen, I have Turkey been a, a, a help or a hinder when it's come to this particular horrifying civil you know, civil war conflict. Um, I mean, as you've mentioned, at this point, it's
0: more than uh, it's more than civil war. Uh, it started as I mean, for people who don't uh, remember what happened in Syria, it started as part of the Arab Spring War. People in Syria yeah. demonstrated uh, peacefully yeah. uh, for uh, change uh, of uh, their situation. They wanted to have democratic life and freedom, similar to what we live here in the West. Uh, the Syrian regime responded with extreme brutality by snipers shooting at demonstrators by putting areas under siege, and with time, people carried arms. And then uh, you have uh, other parties that are supported different groups, and then uh, that led to a civil war. Uh, And then there are large swaths of areas in Syria that became under the control of different uh, groups that were fighting the regime. At one point, 70% of Syria was outside of the regime, including large areas in the north and the east and the south. Uh, and these areas were supported, actually, by uh, United States, uh, um, by uh, by European countries and so forth. And then Russia uh, intervened, Iran intervened, um, and with time, uh, some of the areas were recovered by the regime. So right now, we have maybe about 65% or so of uh, uh, Syria is controlled by the Syrian regime, by Assad, supported by um, uh, Russia and by Iran and by Hezbollah in Lebanon. And then you have the Northwest uh, that has its autonomous region uh, controlled by, um, uh, by uh, a group that is considered terrorist group, uh, but it's also supported by Turkey. And then you have uh, the Northeast that uh, is controlled by Kurdish Syrians, SDF. Uh, with uh, with some support from the United States, and we have troops of the United States in that area. So it's, at this point, it's a proxy war, and you have different countries that are involved. I've mentioned some of them. Um, All right. All right. And, yeah. Uh, so, and the, 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 the situation is fluid, uh, but uh, more or less, the Northwest is uh, the border's, uh, between the regime and the Syrian opposition is stable over the past few years. There is 4.2 million people who are living there. The main city is Idlib. Uh, and we have many hospitals that were supported uh, from by my organization, MediGlobal, and other organizations. We provide health care and humanitarian aid across the Turkish border. Um, and then you have the Northeast that has its own uh, troops, uh, SDF. Um, and uh, this area is supported by the United States. And it has a mixed population between the Kurds and the Arabs. Uh, it has uh, large cities like al-Raqqa, like al-Hasaka, uh, like uh, their shore. Um And this area is rich of oil, of course, and phosphate and other uh, minerals.
1: All right. So, so the, you said in the last few years there were more, more, more of this quite between the two sides in, 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 in the um, uh You've been there recently, like the last three months, uh, in, the, in that yeah. area? Yeah. And, and is it does it seem like it's normal? I mean, people are, are able to live in more or less in a normal way? I mean, how is the economy? What is actually taking place there? I mean, you have
0: large uh, cities that are under the control of
1: the opposition
0: in the Northwest. Um, and actually, you can divide the northwest to two areas: area that is under the direct control uh, of um, uh, uh, Turkey, uh, and uh, these are three areas in the north of Syria. So you yeah. have Turkish troops, you have uh, Turkish banks, you have um, uh, Turkish flags over there, and that right. extend from the northeast of Syria to Idlib. And then you have Idlib, that it has its own government, uh, which is, of course, uh, separate than the the government in Damascus. The situation over the past few years has stabilized. Uh, There's not much uh, major fighting, I would say. There's uh, people who are killed every few days by regime attacking certain areas and so forth and the Russians bombing. But it's not as we have witnessed four or five years ago uh, when we have large Assault by the regime and Russia yeah. that kills uh, tens of thousands of people. So, and uh, when I was there three months ago, I visited uh, a city called Al Bab near Aleppo, and a city called Azaz uh, north of Aleppo. And these are big cities that have vibrant society, a vibrant economy, hospitals, clinics, uh, people, uh, schools. Uh, so similar to any area that you go to any. Uh, country. Uh, not much fighting at that time when, uh, during my last visit. Not much displacement. And then if you go more to the Northwest, you have uh, a lot of IDPs, internally displaced people. Uh, about uh, 1.5 million people are living in camps in Northwest of Syria, in Idlib. And these are people who are originally from Homs, from uh, Aleppo, from Deir Zor, from Damascus, from Hupa. Uh, who move to the northwest because they're afraid from the Syrian regime. Uh, But it has been stable. Uh, So there's education, there are schools, there are universities, there are hospitals, there are economy going on. Uh, And sometimes the situation over over there is even better than the situation in Damascus or Homs or uh, areas under the control of the regime because of the fluid economy uh, uh, and goods uh, and stability uh, uh, and uh, the fact that you have a lot of uh, uh, goods and uh, movement coming from the Turkish
1: border. Right, right. So, so what I would like to ask you: in in situation today, now the war has created, needless to say, a horrifying picture. Still, we have refugees. We still have significant number of internally displaced. We still have, have tens of thousands, maybe hundreds, hundreds of thousands of children who are still. Ex- experiencing the trauma of the war. What is being done in in your expertise, in your area of expertise, to uh, alleviate the suffering of the Syrian people, of those who have been displaced and continue to be suffering from the ramification of the war itself? Um, What's happening in Syria is, uh, I think one of the major
0: uh, tragedies in our lifetime and it's happening Uh, behind the radar and uh, TV and and the media because people have lost interest in what's happening in Syria after 12 years of civil war. Uh, Half of the population are displaced um, inside Syria. Um, You have still 6.5 million refugees. Syria is a small country, has uh, a population of 22 million. 6.5 of them are refugees between Lebanon, between Jordan, between Turkey, uh, Iraq, and
1: other places. Um, and, but but uh, their lion share of them are in Turkey, like uh, uh, something for, like for, three, for, about four, four million. million yeah, four million in Turkey,
0: right? one million in Lebanon, 600,000 yeah. in Jordan, 250,000 in Iraq, about right. 200,000 in Egypt. And I think there are Syrian refugees in 160 plus countries. Um, and uh, this is a tragedy. Of the 21st century at a huge scale, uh, that destabilized the whole region, created um, uh, fertile ground for terrorism, fertile grounds for displacement, and uh, going to take uh, many decades to rectify the situation. Um, but the humanitarian situation is still unstable. I mean, you ha- Syria is divided into three areas, uh, each area has its own government and its own dynamics, um, and at any point it can flare up. Um, so um, what we do in Global for example, is provide medical aid uh, to the population in the Northwest and also in the Northeast, uh, across the Turkish border. Um, we have hospitals that we support. We provide training. Uh, we send medical supplies across the border. Uh, we have uh, doctors that we provide training. We have telehealth programs. We have physicians who travel from the US uh, to Turkey and sometimes to Syria to provide training and perform surgeries, uh, but the situation right now is much better than it was five years ago or six years ago or seven years ago at the peak of the war. Um, there is also uncertainty of what will happen in case that uh, the humanitarian assistance that are going through the United Nations stops, uh, which can happen anytime if Russia vetoed the extension of the humanitarian assistance um, and they threaten to do that every time it comes to the security council and that will probably lead to another wave of displacement and refugees Uh, and unless there is a political solution where you have all of these parties sitting together and forced to have an agreement that guarantees certain levels of human rights respect for human rights return of the refugees and return of the idps um, and improvement of the economic situation, then the whole area, not only Syria, will flare up at 20 point and it will explode. Uh, so, uh, and without the leadership of the United States, that will not happen. Uh, the US uh, government has not been active at the Syria side uh, over the past few years because it has other concerns that are more important than Syria. Uh, so, it, it left it to Iran and Russia to. Uh, Devastate what's left in Syria, and uh, you know, and they're one, one of the most influential influential countries in Syria. Turkey also has a lot of influence. So right now, the main actors in Syria are Turkey, Russia, and Iran.
1: Yeah, you know, in your in your writing, I suggested I wrote about appealing to the State Department. Uh, promises were made. Uh, Has anything uh, changed since the Biden administration came to power in terms of more involvement, providing more funding uh, to to the Syrian refugees, to the the internally displaced, or it is uh, largely just promises that have not been fulfilled yet?
0: The United States uh, and the Biden administration continued the track record of the previous administration, whether it's Obama administration or even Trump, which is providing humanitarian assistance. And so it's the largest uh, donor of humanitarian assistance uh, to uh, to Syria, to the Syrian people. Uh, and I think we should be proud of that. Uh, and we should appreciate what has been done. The American people have been very generous towards Syria. The Congress has been also very supportive in terms of moving the needle on the political sphere, that's what we are uh, criticizing uh, or critics of the Biden administration. Syria is not a priority. Uh, it was a higher priority during the first couple of years of Obama administration. Uh, Trump decided to pull the plug on Syria. Uh, and uh, now Syria is not very important in terms of the foreign policy. In spite of the promises of um, of the Secretary of State, To the Syrian diaspora, American diaspora, uh, during the campaigns of uh, of President Biden. He promised that he will take Syria as a priority, uh, but it doesn't look like it has been a priority for this administration. What Syrian Americans wanted, and Syrians, of course, that the United States take a leading role in moving the needle in the political process, not only providing humanitarian and medical assistance, which we have done, uh, but moving the needle on the political process, taking a leading role, and not leave it to Russia and, and Iran and yeah. Turkey to exploit the situation?
1: And the question here, you know, that I, I deal with conflict resolution, and you you indicated something, of course, very important. The country is divided. You have internal players. You have the opposition. You have the Syrian government. You have the terrorists. You have the, you know, obviously the animosity that, that exists Between the Shiite minority versus the Sunni majority. So you have the internal combustion on one side. Then you have the external involvement by Iran, um, certainly Turkey, Russia, and to to a lesser extent, in a way, because the United States has a presence in in Syria, but it is quite limited. So when you look at all of this, all of the players, seven or eight different players who all have some kind of stake in, the way, in any kind of political solution. Uh, how do you, in fact, can get them all to get together? Because the United States, with the best of intention, and I'm not disagreeing with you, that the United States ought to be taking a leading role. But in, term, in, in practical sense, that is, let's see what happen, what's happening on the ground. There is, and you visited Ukraine, well, you know the situation now there. There is tremendous... Animosity and uh, um, enmity between the United States and Russia, so the Russia Russia would be the least interested in cooperating with the United States once come to Syria. There is the huge uh, discord between the United States and Iran in connection with the Iran nuclear weapon, and Iran is not going to work with the United States to solve the problems in, in, in Syria either. And then you have the basically no relationship between the United States and the Central government in Damascus it hardly exists any such thing. So, although the United States would be the natural player that could actually move the needle, as you said, the question is is it possible at this juncture? And what is it going to take? What is it going to, to change the dynamic? That is, in my view, the current geopolit- the geopolit- dynamic in the country itself, from a political perspective, it's extremely complicated. So, do you agree? For example, one of the prerequisites would have to be the end of the war in the Ukraine, so that the United States and Russia can see eye to eye somehow. Do you agree? For example, that even U.S.-Turkey's relation is not exactly uh, in the best of shape. There's tremendous tension between Erdogan and the Biden administration, just the same about going when I put when I look at Syria today, I mean, I I'm always thinking in terms of conflict resolution. How do we solve it? All of these players ought to be playing, uh, ought to play a role. Without them, you cannot reach an agreement. But how do you get them together when, in fact, they simply see no eye to eye, hardly on any issue at this particular juncture?
0: I think what you have mentioned uh, makes uh, is first of all it's very true, and makes the Syrian a crisis, very complicated. Um, But I think the first thing that many uh, parties ignore is what the Syrian people want Um, and the role of the Syrian people, different Syrian parties. Um, I I think let's not forget that this started with demonstrations uh, within Syria by hundreds of thousands of people who wanted to have a change, who wanted to have freedom, who wanted to have democracy, who wanted to have a better future for their children. So I think this should be taken into account. Yes, there is a lot of... Now, it has been transformed into a proxy war, and you have more than 13 different countries that intervene. In addition to what you have mentioned, you have the Arab Leagues, you have Qatar, you have Saudi Arabia, you have Egypt, you have other parties, Hezbollah, and so forth. Um, But the Syrian people wanted to have freedom, wanted to have democratic... uh, reforms, wanted to have a better future for their children. Uh, And so that's that's the main uh, issue, how can we get there? Um, Right now, Iran is weakened because of the demonstrations. Russia is weakened because of the war in Ukraine, so maybe that will uh, open a window of opportunity for the Biden administration to exploit if they made Syria a priority. Russia has experimented in, in, in Syria before it attacked Ukraine. Uh, it, you know, according to the defense ministry in Russia itself, they uh, experimented with 300 plus different new weapons in Syria, attacking Syrian civilians, and they are using them in Ukraine. The same tactics of siege uh, and depriving children, uh, civilians uh, from basic necessity that were used in Syria, they're using it in Ukraine. Um, so... Uh, maybe because Russia is weakened in in Ukraine, that will open a window of opportunity uh, in Syria. Um, But unless we take a leading role, I'm talking about the United States, the situation will continue to deteriorate and we will have a crisis after crisis. Uh, It might be in the Northwest today, it might be in the Northeast in Syria. Syria will not become stable unless we have um, a better government that cares about its people, unless terrorism is uh, uh, exterminated, and there is roots of, ter- of, ex- of uh, terrorism in Syria, which is basically related to the fact that the regime is very brutal, uh, and you have proxy war of their different parties in Syria. Uh, there is a lot of goodwill of the Syrian diaspora throughout the world. There is 20 million Syrians who live outside of Syria who are ready to go back and help in rebuilding. Uh, but unless we have fertile ground for peace and different situation than what we have right now, the situation will continue to deteriorate and flare up uh, every now and then.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. Something needs to be done. My view of it, you know, for example, can uh, Bashar Assad be part of a solution? or uh, He is the major part of the problem. Uh, how do you satisfy uh, the Turkish concern over the their concern over the Turkish about the Kurds and the Kurds uh, the Syrian Kurds who are seeking some kind of autonomy or how that might impact on the Turkish Kurds who might want to follow suit? I mean, as Russia, obviously at this particular stage, you know, the last thing they want to do is is work with the United States, I mean, like i mentioned before so it is extremely tall order and i'm not sure how do you bring some form of common denominator where the interest of the, all, all the parties part of the at least is can be met i mean i don't see today uh if somebody asked me alone, go go there see what you can do and i don't see how i can get all of this what how do i identify their interest in that particular area and still reach an agreement over which they all need to agree. Otherwise, there will be no peace, there'll be no, no. So it is extremely tolerant and I think probably some of the things are to, to the United States are to be tackling it in bits and pieces. For example, settle the conflict with, uh, with, with Turkey and see what happened with the Ukraine to get back uh, the Russia into possibly the negotiating table. Uh, finalize the deal of uh, some kind of about nuclear deal with with Iran. So you're going to have to sort of play, settle some of these bilateral conflicts between the United States and Turkey, United States and Russia, United States and Iran, United States. If you don't settle these bilateral conflicts one by one to begin with, it will be, in my view, impossible to get them all together and try to find some kind of a solution, specifically nowadays when the when the war in the Ukraine is raging, when the Iran is in, in bad shape, when Turkey is uh, uh, Erdogan is facing a new election, he wants to to also assert himself again. So uh, I mean, I I wish I could say you are absolutely right. <laughs> it is a need, it's a desperate need for a solution. But I, I want. Yeah, go ahead. I'm going to
0: mention three points. Yes, um, we, we, we had a meeting
1: a few years ago
0: with Al-Akhtar Brahimi, who was uh, the, first, uh, the second United Nations envoy for Syria. And uh, when we talked about how to end the Syrian crisis, and that was three years after the beginning of the, of the war in Syria, he mentioned an uh, analogy which I, at that time I could not understand, but then I had to understand later on. He mentioned the Spanish Civil War. He said that the Syrian war is similar to the Spanish civil war because there are many parties that are involved, and the more that you, the more parties involved in a civil war proxy war, the more complicated it becomes. So that basically confirms what you are saying, um, and I agree with that. It's very complicated at this point because you have Turkey, you have Russia, you have Iran, you have the United States, you have the Kurds, you have uh, the Arab leagues, uh, you have Israel. Everyone has their own interests. So and of course, we have the Syrian people uh, who are, also have multiple parties um, uh, divided. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing that um, you're probably familiar your audience with the Lebanese civil war that was much more complicated and lasted for uh, 15 years or so. Um, I was a young person when it started. Uh, and I became adult after it ended. But then it, it ended with the meeting of the different parties in Al-Taif uh, that was organized by the Arab League and Saudi Arabia at that time with support of the United States. And right now, the situation over the past 20 years was stable, more or less, in Lebanon. Uh, at least there's no fighting, infighting between the Lebanese party. So there's something that happened in the, uh, in the Arab uh, League that led to that uh, deal, five uh, taif and still holding. Um and, and, and the last thing that I want to mention that the United States, when it took leadership in major uh, wars and conflicts, it actually can make a huge difference. Uh, and we're all familiar with, uh, with what happened in Northern Ireland uh, and how the United States involvement led to a peace treaty uh, 20 years ago. Uh, and we still have uh, living through the fruit of that. So I believe that when the United States take a leading role that is productive, <laughs> Um, uh in any conflict like this, complicated conflict, we can have peace. But as you've mentioned, there are many parties that each one of them have their own interest that is different than the interest of the other party. And that will create a lot of complications and require a lot of maintenance and deals uh, and okay. negotiation. And okay. at this point, it is not, the parties are not it.
1: You're absolutely right. you know, like when you mentioned Lebanon, there were not too many foreign powers involved. Uh, this is a very important. In, in, in Spain, again, it is all from within, all domestic various groups, one against one another. So, so I think we we, we definitely agree. This is, uh, uh, I mean, I, I see. I would want to parse it and deal with one component at the if possible. But again, we're going to have to wait and see for a little longer, which is a tragic, nevertheless, because people still continue. To, to, to suffer but I want to bring you back if I may to what you do specifically because in terms of the humanitarian dimension of the conflict and with that I what what can be done what would you like to see happen in order to alleviate this the tragedy the idea to to give a, a chance an opportunity hope especially for the young those are from the 15 and under or the 20 and under so they can wake up in the morning and, and see sun, instead of the dark clouds, is going to, to rain more havoc, more barrel, more bombs.
0: Yeah, every, every one of us uh, would like to have a better future for the Syrian children. Um, 75% of the people who are suffering, uh, who are refugees, or internally displaced in Syria are women and children. When I went to the refugee camps in Lebanon and Jordan, um, and the IDP camps in Northern Syria, I see women and children who still dream of a better future. Uh, and they like to have uh, a house and uh, job, and stable uh, situation for them. So if we put the uh, interest of these victims um, as a priority, and I'm talking here about the international community, then I believe that we can uh, do better for Syria.
1: And in connection with your work, in terms of you know, yeah. uh, medically speaking, What can be done? What would you like to see other countries contribute to the the field in which you are involved?
0: So uh, we have hospitals that we support in Syria. We provide uh, their medical supplies and medication across the border from Turkey. Uh, We have clinics that are providing medical care to the internally displaced uh, patients in Syria. We have uh, five clinics in northwest of Syria and north of Syria. We started a mental health program to provide mental health support to the children, to the IDPs and the women. Uh, We have a telehealth program that provides medical assistance to the patients uh, through um, uh, the internet uh, from physicians in the United States. We recently started a critical care fellowship training program, also um, online training program, which is very innovative and creative. Uh, All of these uh, programs and many others that other organizations are provided requires uh, two things. Stability, that means no war. So we hope that uh, war will not flare up. And any time you have flare up of the war, that will lead to another wave of displacement and instability. And the second thing, it requires uh, humanitarian and medical assistance across the border from Turkey. And this is something that the United Nations have organized since 2013. So all of the goods, uh, whether it's food or flour or medicine uh, for diabetes or medicine for chronic uh, lung disease or uh, training, is happening across the border from Turkey, organized by the United Nations. Uh, Russia threatened to block this humanitarian cross-border relief every six months because they have a veto power in the United in the Security Council so hopefully that will not happen because if that will happen if that happened then that will lead to huge disaster that will affect 4.2 million people and you're going to have another wave of displacement and refugee crisis that will not only affect turkey but it will affect all of europe so the first thing is stability uh, the flow of goods and humanitarian assistance and also doctors and nurses who want to help uh, like our doctors and nurses who go to Syria from Turkey, uh, and they want to provide training, they want to do surgeries, they want to help the victims of war. So hopefully that will continue uh, to happen. stability is important. Uh, Political process is important. Um, United Nations Security Council, uh, not turning away from the Syrian people and not blocking this cross border relief. Um, If it is left to the Syrian people, things will be better. So hopefully these proxy wars that are happening or you have many parties involved, uh, it will stop at one point, but that requires really uh, uh, the, the will of the international community
1: uh, to take care of the, uh, of the war and the victims of war in Syria. And then, and I'm sure you would have a, you know, an appeal. If you were to make an appeal for, for that kind of support, you would be appealing to the United States, I suppose, you're appealing more to the United Nations, Uh, But you did not mention uh, the EU, the European community. Uh, Where do they, how much they have done, what they could possibly do in the future to, again, um, alleviate the situation somewhat? I mean, after all, combined, the EU is larger than the United States, and they have tremendous amount of resources, and they have also direct geostrategic control. They are much closer to Syria than the United States, uh, and, and Turkey, obviously. So what, what, where do you see the EU can play or should play a role in trying to alleviate the, specifically the, the suffering of the of the refugees and the internally displaced uh, Syrian people? I mean, you're
0: right. Uh, in the neighborhood, you have the Arab League, of course, and the Arab countries have taken large number of refugees. Uh, Turkey have taken large number of refugees. Europe. Uh, has taken its share of refugees. So we have 1 million Syrian refugees in, in Germany. Mm, Germany. Germany has played uh, a huge role in um, accommodating and accepting Syrian refugees and also pressuring other European countries to take their share of the Syrian refugees. By the way, this is the worst refugee crisis we have since the World War II. We yes. have half of the population displaced either internally or outside of the country, For yeah. a yeah. small country like Syria. Um, um, I think the European, uh, Sweden has taken a um, large number of Syrian refugees. Every European country, except for few like Hungary and Poland, that did not take the uh, large number of Syrian refugees, have done their share. So hopefully, this hosting of Syrian refugees will continue by Europe, which is in the neighborhood, by the way, and it will be affected by any flare up of the crisis in Syria than the United States Good. that has the Atlantic separating than from from Syria. Um, uh, Europe can play a large uh, constructive role, especially Germany, especially United Kingdom and France. France, as you know, um, has a historic relationship to Syria. Uh, It controlled Syria for 25 years, occupied Syria for 25 years. So it has a lot of influence within the European Union. But these three countries, the UK, France and Germany, can play a huge role, not only in humanitarian assistance to Syria, which they have done, uh, but also uh, making sure that the refugees uh, are hosted without pressure of them to go back uh, to their countries and pressuring the United States of America to play a more constructive role in Syria. Uh, Constructive, what I mean by constructive, is not only taking care of one party, which is the Syrian Kurdish group, SDF, and uh, supporting the northeast but uh, working to end the crisis in syria and have a political transition because that's what the syrian people want and that's what the united nations security council resolution 2254 stipulates that we will have a political transition that we will have better governance that will have Mm -hmm. freedom in syria but that requires the leadership of the united states of america
1: And, and are you happy with the with the financial aid that are geared or targeting the, the medical uh, uh, um, area that is, for example, you have the, the med global. To what extent, say the EU, the EU as such. As such. I know the independent countries like France, Germany, uh, England are more, probably more active in that regard. But are you getting from the EU as an as an organization any kind of significant financial support to med global in particular? Uh, MedGlobal
0: does not uh, get uh, support from the EU. Uh, we started to get uh, assistance from the WHO. We get assistance from individual donors, from foundations. Um, one of our more generous donors are the uh, Later Day Saints uh, Church that provide 50% of support uh, to our programs in Syria. They've been very generous with us, uh, like the Mormon really Church. Awesome. Um, we are uh, recently got uh, support from USAID, from our government. Uh, it can be better. Um, uh, without the support, by the way, of the United States and USAID and European countries, the situ- humanitarian situation in the Northwest and Northern Syria would have been much worse and that will lead to much more displacement. So uh, supporting the humanitarian and medical uh, sphere in North Syria uh, is translated into more stability and less displacement and less refugees that will destabilize uh, Europe and create also anti-refugee sentiment that we have seen at the peak of the refugee crisis in 2015 and 2016. So stability in Syria is good for Turkey, good for the Re- European Union because they are in the
1: neighborhood. Exactly,
0: of course. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. Just finally, uh, uh, how are the, uh, is that you mentioned the Arab League. But in particular, the the rich Arab state, Saudi Arabia, you know, the, the Gulf state, are they contributing any significant amount for the medical support, medical help that you in particular seek, or they are falling behind?
0: Some of the Arab states have been generous, uh, especially to the United Nations. Uh, uh, Kuwait, Qatar, uh, Saudi Arabia have been very generous to the Syrian people. Other countries, Arab countries, have hosted a large number of Syrian people. Iraq hosted more than a quarter million. Lebanon, a small country, hosted one million Syrian refugees. So one out of five persons who live in Lebanon is Syrian refugee. Jordan, a country with very limited resources, hosted at 1.1 million Syrian refugees. Right now, 650,000. Um, Turkey have hosted 4.2 million refugees. Egypt hosted quarter of a million Syrian refugees. So several Arab states have done their more than their share in, in terms of hosting large number of Syrian refugees and supporting in the United Nations um, uh, uh, humanitarian aid and so forth. But they can do better, especially the rich Gulf states. They can do better in terms of uh, supporting the refugees and IDPs, communities inside Syria, and pushing towards a political um, resolution.
1: Um and if you were to finally make an appeal for for more aid, for more attention, uh, more support, who, who would you want to direct your appeal to? To all the people we talk, all countries we spoke about, or your? Because you seem to be, of course, focusing and for good reason. Because I agree, the United States can play is playing can play even much larger role. What appeal to whom would you like to appeal to play a larger role to be more helpful?
0: i am american citizen of syrian origin uh, so yeah. i appeal to my government to president yeah. biden right. to uh, to play a more active role we had a meeting with him uh, when he was running uh, for a president uh, yeah. talking about the syrian american uh, leaders and he promised that he would make syria a priority uh, his secretary of state also secretary Blinken, we met with him a couple of times and he said that they will rectify uh, the mistakes that were done during the Obama administration.
1: Right. I think
0: we can play a more proactive role as a country in ending the crisis in Syria, not only supporting one party or one area. Without the leadership of the United States, nothing will happen in Syria. Uh, of course, other countries should play a more um, positive and constructive role. Turkey uh, is a major country in the Middle East, is, is part of NATO. Um, it has historic relationship to the Syrian people. It has a long border uh, with Syria and it hosted 4.2 million Syrian refugees. We are very appreciative of their effort and I hope that they can continue to play a positive role that will end the crisis in Syria and guarantee the right of the refugees uh, without pressuring the refugees to go back uh, to Syria uh, because of political gains. We are seeing some of The worrisome signs that this is happening um, in the last few months. Um, The Arab League uh, should play a more major role uh, in ending the crisis in Syria, uh, especially Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, uh, Qatar, uh, Egypt, of course, Iraq, uh, neighbors of Syria. Uh, Without their leadership, nothing will happen in Syria. And they should take care of their neighborhood. Israel can play a very positive role in Syria. um, uh, And... uh, so I think it's a collective responsibility. This is the worst humanitarian crisis in our lifetime. Um, one out of two uh, Syrian uh, is displaced, either internally or externally. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. the refugee crisis destabilized yeah. Europe, created terrorism, um, created a huge humanitarian crisis. And unless this solved, the whole Middle East and Europe will continue to be unstable.
1: Yeah, one just thing, since you mentioned Israel, Israel has such an advanced uh, medical uh, you know um, institutions, hospitals, uh, medicine have you been getting any medical support, medical support from um, from Israelis or have you been able they be able to send for example terrible cases of injuries and all of that too that Israelis have been de- taking care of them? Has it been happening or that it hasn't happened?
0: Um, we have not uh, got uh, medical support from Israel, we did not seek it, but Israel have hosted a large number of injured Syrians, uh, treated them in their hospitals uh, in the north of Israel. They provided a lot of cross-border humanitarian assistance to Syrians uh, in Daraa and Sueda uh, and Quneitra. Uh, they have done their share in terms of providing humanitarian assistance. Uh, and they can continue to play a very constructive and humanitarian role. They are in the neighborhood, uh, and, uh, and... they have they a vested are... in interest. They have a vested
1: interest in keeping the Syria, uh, you know, stable. stable. That's exactly. very, very important. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, <clears throat> Mohammed, I can't tell you how grateful I am for you to take the time. I took a one hour, a little more than an hour, <clears throat> of your lovely sunny there <laughs> with the and same Florida. behind you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Alon. Thank you for listening to this episode on the issues. You can find this podcast on my SoundCloud page and stay tuned to my social media accounts for the latest analysis and announcements.